Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WZWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. It's a joy to be with you all once again. And speaking of a joy, right here, right now, Randomania is running wild, brother. That's right. Here, I get to interview a guy that I had on my my list, my initial list that I wrote of people that I wanted to have the opportunity to talk to. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the one, this is the only, this is the incomparable, Mr. Randy Hogan. How are you, sir? How wonderful, brother. How are you guys doing? Yeah, doing great, my friend. And yeah, most um... of you people are supposed to be in bed sleeping. I'm having my morning <laughs> cup of coffee. <laughs> That's how it is here in Australia. I have to be up very late to interview a lot of people. One time I had to be up at 2 a.m. to interview Mr. Don Morocco because uh, he's oh. in Hawaii and the time difference is quite yeah. crazy. Um, but Randy, great to have you on the show. What have you been up to lately? It's my pleasure. Well, there's not a whole lot going on over here right now. Conventions are just starting up for the year, and that's pretty much what I do now is conventions. My uh, my in-ring days are long gone. You know, once in a while, I'll uh, uh, maybe play a little managerial role or just go up and do an interview in the ring. But other than that, it's just, uh, you know, I've got uh, merchandise uh, similar to your shirt. I said mine is HWO, you know, Hogan's World Order. <laughs> um, but yeah, just pretty much conventions over here. And I keep trying all the time to get to one uh, somewhere across the pond, but it doesn't seem to be working. You know, I, I tried Ireland and England and, and, and Australia, but in time, hopefully I get to meet everybody over there too. That would be really cool, Randy. And uh, I guess, you know, the question that I usually usually start the show off with is, um, and I'm sure you've had this one before, and I've really tried to painstakingly write questions that maybe you haven't had before, um, but this one's a typical one. Before you got in the business, how did you become a fan of professional wrestling? My grandparents. I was probably, oh, maybe seven or eight years old. I was raised in Detroit, Michigan, over here. And uh, they were they were hardcore fans back then, right on the edge of their seat. It was real. Don't tell them that something's not real, okay? <laughs> so I was raised, uh, again, in the old days, uh, watching uh, guys like Dick the Bruiser, the original Sheik, Killer Kowalski, um, uh, Wilbur Snyder. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough as a kid and still remember seeing Gorgeous George, the original one, used to throw gold hairpins out to the audience and stuff. Um, I got to see Pat O'Connor, Luthez, so uh, the the fabulous kangaroos, okay, with uh, I think Roy Hefferman and uh, Al Costello. That's it, yeah. So, so that's kind of what I and I was raised on it. Um, now my parents they didn't want nothing to do with wrestling. I'll wrestle that fake crap, you know, those that from my grandparents, so. Um, I don't know what day it was, but whenever wrestling was on, my grandparents lived right across the street from us. So I'd go over and we'd watch wrestling and everything and, and they'd get all upset, you know, howling at the TV and stuff. So that's the environment that I was raised in as far as professional wrestling. And I remained a fan right up to this very day. So. That's amazing. It's like there's these cherished memories that you had back then. It's like at the same time, there's a bug, a bug that bites you and that bug doesn't go away. Uh, what was it that made you decide at some point in your life to get into the business and how did you go about it? Well, I was in the restaurant business. I managed a couple of restaurants down in Florida here. 
again, always a big wrestling fan. Anytime it was in town, which was, I think, Wednesday ever. Wednesday afternoons, they did some TV taping in Columbus, Georgia, which I lived in. So, uh, kayfabe was alive and well back then, okay? Now, I really wasn't sure what was real and what wasn't real. So, I wanted to know. Now, prior to this, I, uh, I, pl I played in a band. And we played hotels around Holiday Inns. We played a Holiday Inn in Columbus, Georgia, where the wrestlers stayed when they did the, their tapings. So here I'm up on stage playing, and I see these heroes of mine walking in at the time. Wahoo McDaniel was there. Um, the Continental Lover, Eddie Mansfield, was there, who I got to be good friends with. And in town, there was a tag team called Ted and Jerry Oates. Now, they traveled all over the world, were pretty big mainly regional and uh, they had uh, a little wrestling school jerry oates owned a gym and in the back room where the, the women did aerobics that was a, a a training room and all they had is mats so initially i didn't train in a ring i trained on the mats which was the best thing in the world for me oh anyways so i call eddie mansfield and i said eddie do you know anybody down here that trains i want to get into wrestling he says, well, the only people that trained down there are Hiro Matsuda, who trained Lex Luger uh, and Hulk Hogan, a couple others. Uh, he said, well, why don't you call Jerry? Says, okay, so I called Jerry Oates at the gym. Uh, you know, Jerry, do you know anybody down here? And he says, well, no. He said, but, you know, I train. I says, well, yeah. So we talked back and forth, and I get more and more excited. So I said, okay. So they had closed the restaurant I was managing. So I packed everything I had up in my car, drove from uh, uh, from South Florida up to Columbus, Georgia. That's how I started training, learning to fall. Again, bet today it's more gymnastics. You got guys doing flippy flops all over the place. Back then, there was more of an emphasis on mat wrestling, okay? Okay. Uh, and they call it what catching catch can, and they call it uh, a chain wrestling and all that. But you learn to wrestle, so it was a big advantage because first of all, you learn how to fall correctly because you got this little bitty mat, like a gym mat, and that's it. So if you fell wrong, that gym mat on that cement that hurt. So you learn real quick to do stuff the right way. So that's the way I was brought up, from the way you lock up right into getting into stuff now we probably took our first few lessons and we trained uh three times a week and no time limit usually it was an hour to two hours but the first couple of days we did nothing but lock up you can tell in a lot of cases how a guy is trained just by watching how they lock up and what they do in it you know your normal fan or, or person doesn't realize that. But from so so from there, we learned how to uh, say snatch a headlock. You know, knocking the arm down, pulling pulling it in, keeping your face up toward the crowd or toward the cameras all the time. Don't look down. You know, uh, so uh, simple little things like that. So that's how I was trained and brought up until I finally had my first match, and that was. A whole other story. So get your questions out of the way, and then I'll get some more of mine, if you want. <laughs>
Excellent, Randy. No, the, the thing a lot of people out there don't realize is that there are so many little intricacies and laws to the, even the smallest things that you do in the ring. And uh, someone that has watched a lot of wrestling and is trained in wrestling, like I, I did a, a while ago, um, I, I when I see someone not doing it correctly, I immediately get annoyed about it. Uh, because I think these are very important things and you shouldn't rush through things like a headlock or a hammerlock or, uh, you know, a, a, head, a headlock takedown, etc. So uh, you're completely uh, on the ball with that. And uh, what would you say, like, uh, as far as not just wrestling, but, you know, in life as well, you know, what would you say that you learned the most from Jerry and, and Kansas Rowdy Ted Oates? Oh, wow. What I learned the most non-wrestling was stay humble that carries over into wrestling too you know some guys will get a pair of uh, a pair of bicycle shorts at kmart or something and they'll get some sneakers and they'll pay some guy twenty five hundred dollars who's never had a real match in his life okay to train them and all of a sudden they think they're wrestlers so they go back now these kids weigh 150 160 pounds you know you notice nowadays how many of these indie wrestlers and that they all have shirts on. They don't have a body to show. They have shirts on to cover up what they don't have rather than going back. Okay. Um, again, lessons learned, no matter what it is, learn the basics. I was in the restaurant business. Okay. Came up in that management, owned six restaurants, sold them anyways. But you learn from being a dishwasher up to a busboy, you know, you don't go right in and manage a restaurant knowing nothing. It's no different, okay? You learn to lock up. You learn a headlock. You learn a hammerlock. Uh, then you learn takedowns, you know, um, all the while learning how to fall because that's a really biggie, how to fall and how to sell. But, again, stay humble. I don't care how big you get. Some wrestlers like Mick Foley, um, uh terry funk they have always top of the game but always stayed humble friendly appreciative of the fans um in the locker room they never pushing everybody around or, or or pushing their clout you know which they had they were just nice humble normal people wrestling is just you know some guys just do it for free some guys do it for weekends uh, for a little part-time income once in a while. Some guys do it full-time, um, not necessarily TV, because you can do indie full-time, but you got to travel. You don't make no money, you know, because I'll work for this little promotion, and then I'll have to drive four hours to make 50 bucks way up here <laughs> just for the experience in that, okay? So you drive four hours, you spend your gas, you spend some money uh, on some food or something, and you, you ended up $10 in the hole. But you love it, okay? And yeah, I'm a superstar. I'm a pro wrestler now. So I, I got to laugh at these kids. But uh, yeah, just never let your head get big. And, and that's the difference a lot of times in working steady or working one off. You know, if you go in and you are just non appreciative and everything else in the locker room, that promoter is never going to ask you back. You know, now, said I, I didn't realize that you had a little bit of training, okay? But one thing, again, other than psychology, which they don't teach anymore, okay? Um, after a match, no matter how good, how bad, 
how much you get beat up or whatever else, you thank your opponent back in the locker room. Thanks for the match, whatever. Sometimes just say, is everything okay? You know, and sometimes thanks and that's it. And you move on. You never, ever complain. I got my brains beat out quite a bit. Okay. That was my thing pretty much as far as TV goes. Uh, what comes to mind is uh, uh, Vader and Abdullah the Butcher were probably the toughest guy, you know, beat me. The best advice I ever got was from Abdullah the Butcher. Again, I went back in the locker room after the match. Took his hand. Now, this guy, he had killed me. He had beat me with a kendo stick. He stood all 400 pounds. You know, sometimes if, if someone's going to stand on you the next to the ropes, they kind of take the, the <laughs> weight off. Not him. He was standing one foot on my chest, one here, and I couldn't breathe. So finally he got off, and then that big old guy did the same thing again. Couldn't breathe again. So that's when he threw me. Gary Hart was his manager, and he threw me out of the ring. Gary Hart took a shot at me. Abdullah had a kendo stick. And he just whipped me like a dog. And we were outside the ring, you know, between the ring and the and the and the fans, you know, right by the barrier. And uh, God, he was really hurting me. But I went, didn't say a word. Back in the locker room, shook his hand. Thanks for the match. He was sitting there with his feet up on a desk, smoking a cigar. Now Abdullah the butcher in real life is very well spoken, very educated, well spoken. Okay, you wouldn't know it. So he's sitting there smoking a cigar, and he said, you know, I thanked him for the match. He said, hey, it was my pleasure. Very nice. And he said, uh, how, you know, how are you? You, know, you okay? So that opened the door a little bit. I said, yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. I said, but you beat me to death with that kendo stick. <laughs> the best advice he ever gave me was smoking a cigar. He says, son, it's good for the business. Now, that's old school, Okay. Now, where today, you know, they don't hit you with a chair in the head. Everything is across the back because of the concussion thing. Yeah. Well, back then, man, you just got hit where you got hit, you know. And if you're that close and that close, I mean, now we're right up against the rail. So we're like three feet away from the fans. So if I kind of pull a punch or hit somebody or get hit, like a little sissy on the back or something else, you know, the fans are going to see it. And that just gives them fuel to say, oh, you see, that was fake. He didn't really hit him. So old school is if you're that close to a fan, you don't want them to say that. So whack. So the third, I was taping TV. That was the first hour. They taped three hours at a time. The third hour, I wrestled uh, Hacksaw Butch Reed at the time. And he got me had me up in a bear hug. Well, the next week it was on TV and I flew down to Florida and was watching the matches um, on TV with my parents. And when, um, when Butchery got me up in the bear hug, you could see the welt marks across my back <laughs> from Abdullah's stick two hours earlier. So, so that's the difference, I think, today and tomorrow. You know, how they miss a punch or they do... <sighs> How does everybody do super kicks or LA oh, kicks? Some kind of kick. Everybody, guy or female, kicks. And any wrestling fans, all the ones listening to this, 
the next time you watch TV and you see wrestling, count, count the number of wrestling holds. Okay. Not a punch, not a kick, uh, not a flippy floppy, pure wrestling. How many wrestling holds? You might see two or three. That's all. Because they because now it's punch, 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 which nobody sells. Yeah. You know, this way, you know, if you're in the street and you're in a fight and somebody hits you in the face, what are you going to do? Ouch. They hit the head bob. They hit the head bob. Have, you know, they never act. They never sell. They don't sell the punches. That's another art. That we, I think we learned on the job most of how to sell. And I was so fortunate. People laugh at me because they only know me as enhancement or as a jobber or as a star maker or a carpenter or whatever you wanted to call us, okay? But you really learn how to work, okay? That's, that's another word. Being in the wrestling and actually learning how to work is a different thing, okay? People think different things of work. Basically, to me, it was... You're getting the crowd invested. You're working. You're not going through the motions. You're not play acting or nothing. You're working it. It's my job to get you invested in the match, even if you think it's fake. Whoa, maybe it's not fake. Whoa, he really hit him. You know, that that's working. That's that's doing our job. Where where jobber comes from? That pisses me off too sometimes. Not so much being called a jobber. But the people like me, they're offended. First of all, we had titles all over in independent stuff, okay? We were lucky enough to get on TV every week, too, which we got our brains beat out. But in a lot of cases, we can work much better than the guys we were wrestling. If it was just down to a wrestling match, and I'm talking about guys like Luger, okay? Couldn't work his way out of a paper bag. But, uh, you know, he had the million-dollar body. So I got up in his, uh, uh, in the rack, as he called it, you know, the backbreaker. And that was about it. But uh, you you have a daytime job, right? Yes. You go to work every day? Not every day, but because uh, of my work is pretty, yeah, pretty much it's a full-time you got a You got a job? Yes. Doesn't that make you a jobber? <laughs> yep. You go, you do what you're told, Okay. You perform your job to the best of your abilities. Hopefully you get paid at the end of it, okay? So if, if anybody works a job, they're a jobber. Enhancement, of course, it was our job to enhance the guy we're working. If I was wrestling, and again, back in the day, a, uh, uh, a Brad Armstrong, okay? Or uh, somebody like a Ricky Steamboat that were really wrestler wrestlers, you enhanced them. You made them look even better of a wrestler by taking cheap shots as a heel. If I'm in the wrestling, somebody like, uh, if I wrestle like when I wrestle Sting, same thing. You know, I had a, and you sell what these guys give you. You know, you don't no sell anything to one of these old school guys because you will sell, but it'll be for real. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I just want to say, I, I, I've seen the match with Sting. November 28, 1988 in Macon, Georgia. You shoved, like him, you shoved him to start the match. He flexes. And immediately your whole expression changed. You powdered the outside in fear. It really made me smile. Uh, the way you sold the Stinger Splash, it was like you were done. Your facial expression. 
you went down, you immediately started tapping out to that Scorpion Deathlock. Like that was a that was that was art right there. What you did and, made him look tremendous, and he was only three. And what ago. and what did I do? I enhanced him. I enhanced him him in his stinger splash and everything else. Um, well, part of that match, I think I I he, he was outside the ring on the apron. I think I pulled his. I pulled his neck over the ropes, whatever, and he didn't sell it, you know. And then I scooted out of the ring. I said, "Whoa, shit!" And I'm gone, you know. <laughs> Again, just a, a little, a little comedy to it. A little, whoa, he's scared. But uh, and if I'm in there with somebody like Vader, that was my worst match, hardest match I ever had. Got mm. hurt more than anything. But uh, he did. Everything he did was for real. I mean, and again, there's one on YouTube, one of my matches with him where he's punching me in the corner, okay? And he's really punching me. So I'm sliding down the ropes in the corner trying to get away, and now he's punching me up. Yeah. So, and then he did that uh, splash, monkey splash off the second rope, whatever it is, and went for the pin, and then he pulled me up, and he did it a second one, and I think maybe a second or a third one. He did a third one, but he actually got to the top rope and did like a jumping 180 splash onto you. And yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, God. So at the end of the match, a couple of the referees came in to help me out. That was legit. That was a shoot. They thought I was legit hurt. That wasn't planned for them to come in and help me out of the ring. I wasn't. You know, they got in and I said, I'm okay. I mean, I was squished a bit, you know. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting pancake. But uh, but again, what I did is I enhanced him. I made him look like more of a monster than TV really was portraying him to be. That was my job, you know. Yeah. So we went through enhancement, went through jobber, star makers, explains itself. We were there to help make the stars. And carpenters, we helped build them. We built them up. From the ground up, you know. So absolutely, I agree. And, and a lot of people, you know, all these, all these. I'm proud to be called any one of those. I don't care. You know what? Because I was there. I was actually in the ring. I was on TV, and you were either watching me or you paid a ticket to see the car I was on. You know. So make fun of me all you want. Do you think I'm embarrassed by getting beat up by Vader or the Road Warriors? You know, or the Legion of Doom, whatever. No, not a bit. When I get a match with uh, like Brad Armstrong and I can actually do some mat wrestling, things like that. Uh, Sting, who actually let me push him. You know, that, <laughs> you, you don't touch these guys unless they tell you to. So, anyways, that's a whole bunch on that. So, yeah, call me whatever cool. you want. You know, I'm, I'm just proud to have been there. Proud yes, no, it's interesting because uh, I've interviewed a bunch of guys, uh, you know, uh, Barry Horowitz hates the term jobber. He prefers. Yes, he does. Barry's a friend of mine. Dwayne Gill. Dwayne Gill loves it. Dwayne's like, man, I'm a jobber and I'm proud to say it. You know, Uh, it's interesting. But I always felt that enhancement talent are just as important as the top guys because there wouldn't be top guys without the enhancement. Yeah. Um, And I wouldn't, I wasn't going to mention names, but since you do, Barry Horowitz, he's a good friend of mine. He just, he lives in Tampa and I'm in Orlando. So we're only about an hour and a half away from each other. (laughs) We see each other at conventions and stuff. And we and there's another local wrestler here that did a lot of jobs and, and 
and was touted by Anderson and Jerry Lawler as having the best punch in the business. Bob Cook. Is Bob it. Cook, of course. The cooker, yes, absolutely. He lives by me, too. We kind of live in a triangle. Bob's a different individual. But anyway, yes, Barry hates Jobber. I'm a pro wrestler. Well, yeah. Yeah, you are, Barry. Big deal. <laughs> What'd you do? You went on, you got your brains beat out. Now, Barry was technically, he was a great wrestler. He could wrestle. He had some regional things, you know. Down here in Florida, he had like a Florida title, and J.J. Dillon was his manager. Um, he was wrestling as Jack Hart, I think, at the time. But anyways, yeah, hit, Barry and I go back and forth all the time. And get under skin. I just, he's just a jobber. <laughs> uh, I have to say, uh, Barry is hilarious. A lot, a lot of people might not be aware of Barry Horowitz. I laughed so much when I interviewed him. Just like I've now, Barry love Barry loves Barry now. <laughs> okay, Barry loves Barry Horowitz, just like Lex Luger loved Lex Luger, <laughs> and we laugh about that too. Uh, one thing I want to play a little bit of a game with you, Randy, uh, because you, you've been talking about some of these things that have taken place. You know, uh, Abdullah, uh, you know, uh, Vader coming off the top rope. I want to mention these seven things that I've seen take place. And I wanted to ask you which of these you felt was the scariest, the scariest to be taking at the time, the moment it's happening. So number one, Vader coming off the top rope onto you three times. Abdullah hitting that big running elbow on you, I think twice. Uh, Brian Nobbs being flung at you with sheer velocity into the turnbuckle. A screaming Butch Reed with a flying clothesline off the top rope. Dr. Death Steve Williams press slamming you throat first onto the top rope. A commando's sandwich from Ray Candy and Grizzly Boone. Or just watching the Road Warriors charge to the ring at you to begin a match. What would you say of those? Might be the scariest. Well, the top two scary. First of all, the scariest part is before you even get to the ring. Because you know what the finish is going to be. <laughs> That's the scariest part. I would say when they were happening... Actually, the scariest ones were Vader, of course, everything he did. Because the difference in Vader and all these other guys, Vader didn't care. Vader didn't care if he hurt you. He just didn't care. Part of that was, you know, he came from Japan, which is a different style of wrestling. Came over here, you know, which is a lot stiffer than that. So, but anyways, that was the worst thing about Vader was he didn't care. He hurt quite a bit of people. And a lot of people really were hurt by him. So when I know that I'm going to wrestle Vader, people in the locker room are laughing at me because I got Vader because they know it's going to be a stiff match. So that was the scariest one. I think close to that, there was a tie between Dr. Death. Okay. Not, I don't know how to say this, rest in peace. Not so much wrestling him or what he was going to do, but what condition he was going to be in when he got in the match. I'll leave it at that, okay? So him and uh, Vader, Vader was the toughest. And I think him, along with the whole match, the first time, against the Steiners. <laughs> the Steiners, just like the Nasty Boys, were known for taking liberties with the little young guys, you know? So, uh, so those are kind of the, the, the scariest ones. Okay. Move wise. 
the scariest thing as it was happening, because a lot of things you can kind of, you know, if you're going to hit the turnbuckle, you can get your hand up or something. When you see Vader coming off that rope, and you're laying down there, and you're looking up, and you see this 400-pound guy that don't care about you at all coming down ready to pancake you, you know? You say, <laughs> oh, shit, you want to scoot out of the ring while he's in the air, but you can't do that, of course. But, yeah, absolutely, that was it. That was that was the number one right there. Steiners were stiff, okay, but they cared, you know? Um, Dr. Death, like I said, depending on what mood he was in because of what condition he was in coming into the into the match was uh, kind of frightful sometimes. Right. Um, does that answer your question? <laughs> that does. I, the, the, it was fun for me to hear you talk about all that. But when I saw you, uh, when I saw uh, Jerry Sags fling uh, Brian Nobbs at you in the corner, I was like, wow, that's a, that's a lot of meat hitting you right there. Um, but uh, well, I wanted to bring this over because, look, I don't want to keep going on about Hulk Hogan through this interview because in all the interviews, you, you always- Let me tell you, brother, you go through whatever you want to go through. Let me tell you, brother, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll tell you everything, the truth, the one, the two, the three, the Jimmy Hart connection. I got it all, brother. So you just go. <laughs> okay, Brian. There are conflicting reports online about the name Randy Hogan uh, and Randy, uh, if you want to elaborate, you may, but I'm, I'm reading- uh, uh, one thing, and then I hear another. Uh, your first name is actually Randy, so everyone out there, it's not a rip on Randy Savage. Uh, Jim Cornette, I think he might have got a little mixed up on uh, something he said on his show. He claims that you were given the name in 1988 when working for Jim Crocker Promotions, but I believe no. you were given the name in 1981. I just wanted to clear this up once and for all. Uh, about I will this. make a long. I will make a long story short. Okay. okay. I told you all I wanted to do when I started wrestling was know what's real and what's fake. That's all I wanted to know, the truth, okay? So I went to a match in Columbus, as I always did. Wednesday night, one of the guys I trained with was putting the ring up. And uh, so I said, Bill, what are you doing? He says, uh, this, he said, they rent the ring from me when they come to town. He said, are you wrestling? And I said, no. Now, this is about almost six months later after training, and I had one match of trainees, and I thought I knew everything. Again, that's the key. I thought I do everything. <laughs> so he, so he said, well, "Are you wrestling?" I said, "No, not at all." I said, "I don't care to." I said, "Are you?" He says, "Yeah, I'm wrestling up in Athens, Georgia, which was about a three-hour drive, little little hick town. Okay, they might have had a hundred cows and and two hundred people in the whole town." So, so um, he said, "Why don't you come and watch me sometime?" I said, "Man, I'd love to." Now I'm single at the time. Okay, so I had nothing holding me up. He said, bring your stuff. I said, no, no, I don't want to. I just want to come up and watch you. So I went up once. And then I went the next week. It was kind of fun. There were like 20 sailors sitting at the bar, you know, drinking down their pints, as you say. And uh, it wasn't like a real thing. Uh, hot dog and a handshake type thing. That's exactly what it was. So I, he taught me a third or fourth time I went up. I took my bag, took my stuff. And you should always take your bag when you go to a match. Okay, It's like a doctor. You never know what you're going to be up against. Always have your basics. So somebody didn't show up. So the promoter guy went to my friend Bill and said, hey, does your buddy want to work? And he says, well, I'm sure he does. You only brought his stuff. He says, okay, come get dressed. 
So I come in and uh, promoter says, you know, thanks for sitting in. Didn't talk money or nothing. Says, you're going to wrestle a guy called the animal. And this is not the road warrior animal. You're going to wrestle a guy, the animal, and he's going over. Now, I think I know it all, okay? So I go back in the locker room. I said, Bill, I'm wrestling this animal dude, and he's going over. Does that mean he's going over the top rope? I'm going <laughs> over the top rope. He says, no, dummy. He said, that means he's going to win. Oh, okay. That's that's thinking you know it all, okay? And down to the <laughs> basics right there, what I really knew. And this was after 13 months of training. There you go. So, anyways, so the promoter, of course, I lost, but by a screw finish. So he says, can you come back next week? I said, sure. And uh, he said, you know, he says, you look a bit like that Hulk Hogan. The Hogan was just on his way to the, the Hulkamania getting started and stuff. And uh, he said, we're going to call you Hal Hogan. So I said, okay. So I thought about it. And by the end of the match, I, so I said, you know, I don't mind if you want to call me Hogan, but can I go by Randy? Because they're going to call me Hal. You know, I'm not going to know who the hell they're talking to, you know. So <laughs> can we do Randy? That's how Randy Hogan was born. From a little promoter, shot in a beer, no pay, no nothing. Okay. Now, again, just to elaborate on this part, fast forward to the Monday Night Wars. Okay. Just before that. Now, if you notice, and I'll take Barry Darso. Okay. Demolition, Repo Man, a dozen different things. Okay. Always changing his name. Jobbers on TV. Always changing their name. It might be Randy Jones. It might be a, a, a Hiccup Abdullah or something, whatever else. They're always changing the names. They never changed Randy Hogan from the Independents to Jim Crockett to Ted Turner's boys, always Randy Hogan. I found a later part of it was as these wars were starting out and Hogan was just the icon of the world right now. Um, they wanted to show what they think of Hogan. And we're going to show them. So they're going to kill this Hogan. Drop Abdullah on me. Yeah, that's what we do to to the Hogans. That's what we do. That's why Hogan always got a job, never changed his name. But Randy Hogan was on TV at least once or twice every Saturday going through. <laughs> so that's part of That's why it stayed, why it started. Go ahead. I've I, I got all these answers to questions in my mind. Let you know, me, have you ever met Hulk Hogan? No, I have never to this day face to face met Hulk Hogan. Right. What would you do if he did? Do you think he's bad at you? Whatever. I did a convention last year and I was right across the aisle from Jimmy Hart, who is Hulk's best friend in real life. They have other business ventures, you know, other than when he was wrestling. And, uh, oh, by the way, he just had another operation on his back, Hogan, and he has completely numb now from the bottom waist down. Yeah. He can barely walk. And he's going to have those, I call them polio canes, you know, that wrap around the fort. That's how he's, and I'm just about there the rest of my life, too. Anyways, <clears throat> so I had to get a picture with Jimmy Hart, but I was scared. But I went across, it was, it was a lull. 
It was slow, so I walked across and I said, Jimmy, excuse me, can I get a picture with you? Now, if you ever know Jimmy Harder, talk to him. He is like a hamster on crack, okay? <laughs> he is, yeah, sure, sure, brother, come on, come on, come on. He's on. So, again, I thanked him, almost like a man. I thanked him for the picture, you know. And I, you know, I was a little, and I told him, I said, I'm a little bit nervous because I know you and Hulk are, you know, good friends. And here I'm doing this gimmick, you know. And I wondered, you know, what, what anybody thought of it, you know. At that point, if he said, don't do the gimmick no more, I would have stopped. But uh, he said, no, no, brother. He said, we love it. He said, not that you're the topic of conversation. He said, but we're well aware of you and, and your name has come up. And, you know, you've never done anything to tarnish the, Hargan, the Hogan name. When he went NWL to turn heel, the indie circuit, I turned heel. <laughs> I kind of followed his lead a little bit. T-shirts like you got, which I have. For sale at Randy Hogan stuff on Facebook. Anyways, <laughs> it's got the H and my signature on the bottom. So Jimmy said, no, he said, you never have. He said, I love, he said, we love the gimmick. He said, I, I, I love the outfit because I have the same outfit he does. I've got the, the, a lot of the, the red and yellow, um, uh, the randomania t-shirts, <laughs> rather than Hulkamania, okay. And I've got them in red, black, royal blue, and yellow. Uh, so, so everything he wore, I pretty much had, you know, right down to the, to the uh, spandex, to the, when at the end, when he did almost like the Billy Graham uh, tie dye type thing. Yeah. So he said, "You." He said, "No." He said, "We're okay." He said, "You just keep going, brother." He said, "I love the good, love the look, love the gimmick." So wow, that was that was like passing it on to me, you know. So I felt so comfortable. Where now, when I run into Hogan, and I'm planning on it right now, um, I won't be scared. I'll be nervous as hell and everything, okay? But I'll go, you know, he owns a restaurant down here called uh, Hogan's Hideout, I think it is, or Hogan's Hangout. Anyways, they have karaoke on Monday nights and stuff, and he's there all the time, regularly. Uh, his son, Nick, does DJing and stuff, it's like a family thing. And, of course, Jimmy's there all, Brian Nobbs is there all the time. So I talked uh, uh, well, a couple of weeks ago, to, uh, to Mario Mancini, who is, is, is pretty good friends with him. He said, I'll introduce you to him. He says, when he comes to town, he says, you let me know. Well, he's always in town when Mario gets to town. Because he's up there in New Jersey or wherever it's at, and I'm down here in Florida. But So I got the, uh, I got the okay from Hulk through Jimmy Hart that what you see, brother, is what you get, and it's okay. But never, never once have I said, I'm his brother, I'm his cousin. I never said I was related. Never, ever said I was related. Uh, another thing, a lot of people ask about this guy named Scott Colton. <laughs> I just had an argument with someone about this. <laughs> never happened. I just told him, I, I told know, this guy, it's not, it wasn't do not, <laughs> I do not know him. I do not know where it started. Uh, it came from some website I heard, uh, I don't know, it was Ring Cage or something, one of these. Uh, Cagematch.net, cage yeah. Maybe that's it. They are the ones that did it, and Wikipedia picked it up, and then all the little things picked it up, and I go, and I get to ask that all the time. I never met him. I watched his match on YouTube, 
and I see a similar resemblance. When we wrestled, we were about the same size. We went about 225, 230, you know. He had the same hair, except it was shorter than mine. He had no mustache. And they all say, oh, yeah, they made him shave his mustache off. And then he grew it back <laughs> all of a sudden, you know. <laughs> so, anyways, no, I do not know Scott Hulk Colton. Uh, God bless him. He probably gets as many laughs out of it as I do, wherever he is. <laughs> okay, that's all I got to answer that I don't know. <laughs> Excellent, Randy. And anyone out there, if you know who Scott Colton is, the, the legit Scott Colton that, that did enhancement work for the WWF in the 90s, pass my information to him. You know, leave a comment, please, on here on YouTube. Let's let's get to the bottom of this. Um, Randy, again, to talk about Hulk, this is like a, a question as, you know, somebody that sure. uh, did the work that you did in your wrestling career. Would you have loved to have the opportunity to take that big leg at some point in your career, Randy Hogan versus Hulk Hogan may have been the match we never knew we wanted, but needed. Yes, but I would have rather dropped the leg on Hulk Hogan. <laughs> I did the same finish. That was one of the finishes, okay? Uh, what an honor that would be, you know. And again, talking to, to Mario Mancini, we talk about it. Gilberg is kind of in our old circle, too. Right, cool. Mancini says, I do not know for the life of me why they didn't bring me up, bring you up, and do something with Gilbert. Yeah. Who was of Goldberg, you know, and me. Um, managed at the time by maybe uh, the referee, Charles Robinson. He did a thing as little Nate. <laughs> That's right. He did. Remember, he had a sequin robe and worked with, uh, with Flair in that. Yeah. But just put a lot of these uh clones or whatever together you know in, in either a match or some kind of thing what comedy that would be and gilbert like me are, are well trained so we could actually wrestle a match in there you know and we know and neither one of us is afraid to sell so but they just couldn't understand why they brought in the gilbert but they wouldn't bring in the hogan so <laughs> excellent stuff brandy um, so in my research, obviously, I've seen that you work with guys like Larry Zbysko, uh, big men like Barbarian and Warlord, crazy men like Abdullah, a green talent on their way up uh, that need to look good, technical wrestlers, brawlers. A man in your position had to blend in uh, with all of these styles and do good at it. What qualities was it that you had that made you good at working with everyone of all styles, shapes, and sizes? Training, brother. Take your vitamins. <laughs> really proper training that way you you learn you learn to swim in any pond okay you can do this you can do that and you make it look good because you know what you're doing you're not afraid now there's those off the wall things somebody will botch something um mm -hmm. or, or they'll miss a spot or somebody will forget a spot whatever okay but you got to make it look good you can't let the fans know that you you missed a spot. Uh, so training, training is 99% of it. Before you get in the ring, you got to know what you're doing. There's no on-the-job training when you're in front of, of you know, 30,000 people in an arena or you're on national TV in front of millions. And you don't want to make a Dr. Death or Abdul or somebody. You don't want to make them mad at you. Mm. The last thing you want to do because you'll never make it to the locker room. <laughs> <Even> <laughs> so so um, yeah, that, 
that's that's the biggest thing is is knowing how to wrestle, knowing how to sell, knowing when to sell, when to make it look good and when to make it look bad. If somebody goes to give you a drop kick and they're a foot from you, whatever, don't fall. Don't sell it. If you miss, move your hand like you're swatting them away or something, you know? But anyways, does that yeah. answer your question? No, that does. It drives me crazy when I see someone miss by a mile and the guy still tries to sell it. Yes. Because it's in their match plan. They can't go past their match plan. They can't pivot. They can't work on the fly and figure things out. That does my, my head in. Um, another the, question match had... plan, the match plan we had was you have three minutes. <laughs> Hogan's taking the fall with whatever the finish is. You know? That's all you knew. <laughs> I'd love to see some of these guys that are quite prominent these days be told, go out there for 15 minutes, no match plan, improvise, listen to the crowd, see how you go. And think of Flair and, and, and Steamboat when they had 60-minute matches. Mm. 60 minutes, can you imagine? <laughs> uh, another question I have was, are there any other enhancement talent type performers that you really like the work of? I don't quite understand. I, uh, another guy that kind of uh, played the enhancement talent role over the years. There's some uh, people that you were like, you know, he's really good at what he does in that role. Oh, yeah. God, there's so many, so many. Um, guy that I was on the road with was the epitome, I think, of Jobber was George South. Um, WW, another Gary Royal, Mike Justice, they all. Uh, the Italian Stallion, they come to mind for the NWA in that. Up in the WWE or F, you've got, of course, we've spoken of them, Barry Horwitz, uh, Reno Riggins, Mario Mancini. Um, can't think Thank of you. anyone. Now, today, today's enhancement, which is not an enhancement of yesterday, yesteryear, okay? Guys like uh, Dolph Ziggler. I am such a Dolph Ziggler fan. He is great, you know, and and somebody asked him, well, why don't you go to another association or something? You know, you're not going anywhere here. You know, he said, because I'm making almost a million dollars a year. Why would I switch? Why would I change? You've got uh, a woman, I think, who left uh, Sonia Deville when she was in. Uh, what well, she's I think uh, AEW now. She oh, you might be thinking something. of Ruby Riot, maybe Ruby Soho. I think she was in Yes, 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 yes. I'm sorry, they were that's in the okay. same cohesion. But uh, well, that's another one. Sonia Deville, she's getting jobbed out every week now. Yeah. She challenges Flair, she challenges this, and she always loses. <laughs> but uh, Ruby Riot, yeah, she made that move, and she's gone nowhere. She should have stayed where she was at. So I agree. I agree. Everyone made a big deal out of her joining, and now she's stuck in, you know, the middle of nowhere over there. But that's but then you got thing. people like uh, like CM Punk, and like Sasha Banks, who are I mean they're so tight they squeak. They got the first nickel they ever made, mm. so they can say screw it and they can just walk away. Yeah, because they've saved their money. Where you got some other guys that I won't mention. Well, people like Flair, okay? Flair's made billions of dollars, and yet he's got nothing. Yeah. He's got next to nothing. That's why he's doing this stuff, not only because he loves what he's doing, but uh, he needs some money. 
and so many yeah. of them are like that. Or they die broke, you know. Yeah. Junkyard um, another thing that I wanted to bring up here, Randy, because I've been going, you know, with my research, I went online and I'll just say some different fans and their comments on you. And I found some really nice. Go ahead. Comments. I got all day, brother. I got nowhere um, to go today. The sun's shining. It's 82 <laughs> degrees. I'm going to get tan, bronze, and beautiful. I'm too pool today. And after that, I might go out and play nine holes of golf because I live on a golf course, too. That's what I'm doing, brother. So you just take all day you want. <laughs> Excellent, Randy. A guy by the name of Burr5030 said, I just met Randy Hogan at Superstar Fan Fest 2022. I showed up late after the signing and he was just sitting in the audience watching the show. I told him much respect and he was super nice. He's a great dude. Uh, another guy, Jason Cutshaw8401. Randy Hogan is the Hogan that the world really needs. Watching ah. him is like being in a twilight zone because he's the good one and Hulk is the evil one. <laughs> and he was always in the twilight zone by the time he left the ring. Yep. <laughs> uh, Jonathan Chiller, 3954, said, Love, Randy. This guy put so many big names over back in the day. He's truly a gem in wrestling, and it's better because of him. I thought that was fantastic. Oh, thank that you was so hard. much. You know, I got to say, again, go away from when I first started. Told you my grandparents got me started. Of course, they passed away before I even did it. But the first time, there you go. The first time I stepped in a ring, just stepped in a ring. I I had tears in my eyes. I just couldn't believe. It. I was just so thrilled. And I hear things like this from fans. Uh, whether they were fans or not, that, hey, you know, we appreciate what you did in the business or, you know, I used to watch you with my grandpa, whatever else. Again, it, it just it brings tears in my eyes. I'm so appreciative of all these people, you know. I'm glad, Randy. This is why I wanted to bring that up, because sometimes, you know, if you're not looking online, because some people don't like to look online because some people are very narrow minded and say very mean things about anybody. That's OK. Say it. But I'm a jobber. <laughs> when I find the nice comments, I thought to myself, you know, I want to share a few of these with Randy because I thought it might it might be. Uh, Thank nice you. Thank you all. Good or bad. Doesn't matter. Give me pay me, brother. <laughs> um, we haven't got too many questions left here, Randy. Uh, one question I have for you, though. What was your most surreal moment in the wrestling business? That first time I stepped in the ring. That was it. That brought back my childhood and brought back my grandparents. I could see them both right there, you know. Right. Still do. Yeah, big, big flashback and, and, and such. That's really cool. That that that, that was uh, that was a defining moment. And that was wow, I was 30, and I'm gonna be 72 in a couple of weeks. Wow. Yeah, so 42 years ago, and I remember it like it was yesterday. Well, you're still looking good, brother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Only I felt uh, good. <laughs> uh, when was it that you decided to step away from the wrestling business for good? Uh, I, you know, I tried looking online for a definitive, you know, your uh, final. This this was Randy Hogan's final match, but I'm not sure because the internet just is useless sometimes. Um, when did you decide to step away? And did you know your last match would be the last one at the time? <sighs> I don't remember when I, yes, I do. 
I was, I don't know, maybe 47 years old, something like that, doing independent stuff. I wrestled a match in Savannah, Georgia against Rick Steiner. Rick Steiner used to do a lot of those belly to back suplexes. The Germans and all that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had I had wrestled him a few times before and always landed on my head. So I'm wrestling him. It's on TV. He goes behind me. I said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn a little bit and catch him, try to catch the fall on the weight of my shoulders, you know. Well, I turned too much, cracked my clavicle. So that pretty much put me out of it, you know, for I was out for about nine months with that surgery and stuff. So that at that point, and I was getting older, I uh, I said, well, I'm just going to go part-time. So I just did some independent stuff. I booked a couple of little independent shows where I lived in the town. I had a restaurant there. And, of course, I would finance it. Um, and they started doing TV tapings down in Florida. They used to do it at TBS Studios when – Rocket had it, and then when uh, Turner took it over, then they moved it down to uh, uh, I don't know what they called it at the time, MGM Studios or Hollywood or something. They started doing it down here, so I made some calls. So now when they taped down here, I would get on TV once in a while, just trying to keep because the name of my restaurant was Randy Hogan's Cedar River Seafood, so I had to keep the Randy Hogan thing alive. So I turned myself into Ronald McDonald. Little kids would come in. I had those five by seven pictures of me. I'd autograph it, give it to them, and tell them a little bit about what this guy's like and what this guy's like. And it was so much fun. So that's kind of weaned me off of working, you know, sometimes three, four, five nights. Sometimes I remember there was a couple of weeks I had eight matches in a week because you do, you know, two, two matches of TV taping usually. So I went from there, I went down to working just a couple, three times a week, just doing the independent circuit around Florida. And uh, and then finally, I just said, you know, I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to legit hurt myself. You know, I tried to stay in shape. I went to the gym and did all the things you're supposed to do. But uh, age catches up with you. I don't care what you do. It catches you. I didn't want to jeopardize my real life shoot job as they call it you know uh just to make a couple of bucks you know getting dropped on my head by some kid who just got out of the backyard training so so that part i kind of weaned off it i did nothing for almost 10 years until i got a a call from a from a vendor kevin nasted damage 365 or something out of the clear blue hey you want to do a convention i said what I didn't know they had conventions. So he explained to me, yeah, we'll fly you in. We'll get your room. We'll feed you. We'll pay you X amount of dollars. That's a man signed me up. <laughs> so now if you remember my wrestling career, I didn't wear the red and yellow. Method. I had black velvet robe, turquoise interior, turquoise trunks, turquoise boots. That was my thing. But everybody's always kept up on your Hulk's cousin, Hulk's brother, whatever, all my whole life. So he said, hey, can you do the Hulk Hogan thing? And I said, well, sure. I didn't know if I could, but it's like was in show business, somebody says, hey, can you tap dance? Yes. Then you go out and tap dance, okay? My good friend happens to own a printing shop. So I said, can you do something like this for me? 
just with the red and yellow t-shirts. And that was it. So I had still had a, a few weeks ahead of me before the convention. I says, um, what else would you wear that I can wear? Well, let me buy these, you know, these uh, sunglasses. You can get them for a buck a pair, you know. <laughs> so let me get those. I can autograph the lens, which I do. And then I bought a couple of dozen of the bandanas, you know, to sell. And it went on and on. I bought these little little dumbbells, little two-pound dumbbells that girls use, you know. And I autographed that. Because him doing this hanging and banging, you know? Yeah. So I, I brought everything in like that. I've got 13 different pictures that I sell. Never one done in a, in a studio. Uh, the closest I got was I've got one in the WCW frame. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. Um, so anyway, so I said, so he made me shirts. I bought a couple of these and bought some of this. And then I ended up buying the yellow wristbands and everything else. So I just gradually get in, got into the Hogan gimmick um, because the vendor wanted me to about uh, three years ago. Right. But I sat there for 20 years doing absolutely nothing, and I get a call, and I don't even know what it is. So then I got a call from another vendor. And then at the convention, you know, you see vendors, and they come up. You know? And some of them don't want nothing to do with you. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm a hot commodity. But uh, – I love it, and it gives me time to be with these fans. Like when I I met at uh, uh, the Superstar Fan Fest. Oh, that's that's a fun one too. I never miss that every year. But you actually get a chance to sit and talk to fans. Not now. Some of us, some of the guys, over guys, I hate to see them because autograph go, autograph go. They're busy, but they don't they don't take time. Man, I'm doing this one in uh, that one in Rome, Georgia. I got little kids coming up to me. Now, you know, you don't want to give stuff away because you're trying to sell all this merchandise. That's the only way you can make money. I got these little kids, six, seven years old, maybe younger. Can you sign my arm? So they'll, they'll have a magic marker. You know, God, how can you charge your kid or say no? <laughs> I, I probably signed more arms and then their friends come up and everything. So I'm signing on the back of their T-shirts. I'm signing their arms. I'm signing across their chest. Uh, then the mama wants maybe a signature around across the top of her chest. <laughs> so you end up doing it. But, man, that's what it's all about with the fans. That is what it's all about. And some of these big-name guys that just don't care, you know, they just, they're watching the clock all the time. But, you know, they're bringing them in. And some of the guys are making, you know, you bring somebody like the Undertaker in, they're getting paid $20, $25,000 a day, mm. guaranteed. Where you got some guys who are just in there at a 50-50 split or or – or mid-range guys, you know, like me. But, uh, man, that that guy really brought it home right there because that's probably my favorite convention because you're so up close and you're never rushed. That's cool. Very cool to hear, Randy. And one other thing I wanted to uh, ask you about, we're getting very close to the end here. Uh, no! If there's... <laughs> Yeah, please plug anything that you've got going on. Please tell me about uh, the Cedar Creek uh, Seafood Restaurant. Tell me everything that's going on in the in the world of Brandy Hogan. Well, I, I had no restaurants. I sold my last restaurant. I retired okay. when I hit 62. Social Security, and I had a couple bucks put away. So that was my retirement. I got married that same year, and my wife manages a, a dental practice. So uh, 
she she was off work at the time too, and we did a little traveling and just had fun. You're in Florida, you gotta have fun. You know, <laughs> you guys paid thousands of dollars to come down to visit and have fun. I live it every day. So, anyways, she got a good offer for a job, so she took it. So she come home after a couple of weeks and say, "Honey, this just isn't working for me." And I said, "Well, leave, quit." She said, "No, no, no, I love my job." She says, "But I'm out working." bringing home money every week and you're laying by the pool or playing golf every day. Something ain't right. I said, okay. So then I started a little catering business. I live in a golf course community. So I started catering all the events here and everything because I still have my licenses and stuff. So, uh, so I started with one restaurant. I was married at the time, another marriage. Um, bought a second restaurant, got divorced. Lost the first restaurant. So from the second and then through my career anyways, I ended up with six restaurants. So that's how I got in the restaurant business. And that's how I kept the Randy Hogan alive by keeping my hair bleached. Because my hair was about the color of yours, you know, dark brown, <laughs> black. So, you know, I'd had a broad, had a well, a well like cream bleach, man, on my eyebrows, my mustache, my hair. You know, couldn't breathe. My eyes are watered. So I had to keep that up, and I kept the pictures up, and that's why I kept doing the TV once in a while when WCW would come down to uh, MGM Studios and that. So, so that answers that. Very cool, Randy. Uh, it's time for us to get to our final segment of the show where we get to find out about your favorite things. The first three are about wrestling. The rest are about some other different things. Uh, Randy, who is your favorite professional wrestler of all time? It was a tie between the original Sheik and Dick the Bruiser. Excellent. Now, these are names that a young guy probably never, ever heard of. I've okay. seen the Sheik. I've seen the Sheik. I've heard of Dick the yeah. Bruiser. I haven't seen a lot, but I, I know the Sheik. He's, he's a wild boy. Dick the Bruiser was a big, barrel-chested, ex-pro football player, like a lot of them are. And he was smoking a cigar, big bean. He was big in the AWA here around Minnesota and that, and did some promoting later on and stuff. Him and the Crusher were a big tag team out of the time, you know. And they were fighting with the Wilbur Snyders and Kimmel Kowalski, and they would come in. But those are my favorite, it, probably because they're childhood memories. Yeah. The ones now, nobody really excites me. I mean, as far as, oh, good, he's going to be out. I can see it. I can see it. Now, my wife's different. Of course, she loves Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre. But she likes Becky Lynch because Becky does probably the best promos of any of the women. You know, she's up there. She's got that accent and that just little bad girl attitude. <laughs> so she loves her. Um, of the current people, the ones that I appreciate the most, okay, Nowadays is Dolph Ziggler. He's just a workhorse. He does whatever he's told to do, whether it be win, whether it be lose. They give him push here and there, but he always puts in 110%. Um, of course, Hulk Hogan. I liked his, uh, the, not so much the wrestling part, but the personality, the stuff that brought you to it, you know, uh, the promos. And, and I appreciate a lot of them from his era, you older, 
because they didn't write out promos. You might get a couple of bullet points, but man, that mic, that little red light goes on. You're talking, you're on it. So um, nowadays it's all so scripted, especially the women. Oh, I hate Bianca Belair when she tries to talk. You can tell every word she's saying is scripted. I bet she's got an earplug in her, you know, <laughs> she can work. She's strong as an ox. You know, I appreciate yeah. what she, that's kind of Charlotte Flair, a knockoff of her old band. Absolutely. She draws heat without drawing heat, you know, without trying. She just comes out there in her flashy robe, puts her arms out like this, spins around, just like nature boy. Woo! <laughs> Very good choices there, Randy. Uh, over the course of your career, is there anyone that you would say was your favorite opponent? My favorite opponent? Well, of the big name, the TV guys, I would probably say Sting or Barry Windham. Barry Windham is another guy that just had no mic skills. He got as far as he could go, and they kept giving him little pushes, little pushes, little angles, but he couldn't do it. Wonderful in the ring, though. Excellent. On the independent circuit in Florida, and I went around and around Florida with him. His name was Buddy Valentine. Looks just like Greg Valentine, a little bit bigger. Knew how to work, got the heat and everything. And him and I, we would... If you get like uh, Drew McIntyre against Sheamus, man, yeah. these guys are laying it into each other because they're best friends. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll get you later, whatever else. Me and Buddy Valentine were that way. So <laughs> he'd get cool. me down on a face like he'd be punching me, hit me. I said, he's up. He's up. I'm going to cater you, boy. I'm going to cater you. So, yeah. so Buddy Valentine and Barry Windham. Excellent choices. Uh do you have a favorite match, one match that you look back on as that's my favorite that you performed in? You mean that I had or that I have seen? That you've had. I guess Buddy Valentine. Those were my classics. Those were TV quality matches with him. Um, yeah, I would, I would say my matches with Buddy were the best quality matches. Um, oh. matches that I have seen is it always comes in my mind and they did a series of them but it was a flare against Rick Steamboat of course it was technical it was it was everything it was just a total match man you want to learn something watch watch one of their matches you're going to learn everything absolutely anyone out there hasn't seen Steamboat versus Flair check out the Chi-Town Rumble but just, that's just one of them there you go. Oh, okay, we're getting away from wrestling now. Uh, favorite book? Actually, I just finished it. It's probably one of my favorites I remember. It's called Good Lovin'. It's a biography of the Young Rascals. Okay. And Good Lovin', that was their, one of their hit songs. There. Right, cool. The Rascals or the Young Rascals, I don't know. But uh, very interesting. It was written by the guitar player who who he, they have writers, you know, he, he dictates it. And then a guy named um, Stephen wrote the book. Well, a friend of mine, do you know Michael Monty? Monty and the Pharaoh? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a big thing over here. Anyway, so Monty got hold of him and got me an autograph book. Okay. Anyways, I read it. And then having spent time in the music business, you know, which is how I got in the restaurant business, or the restaurant business um, 
it was just so real. You know, it's, it's, it's like one of these wrestlers, George South. I don't know what it's called. He wrote a book on wrestling covering the job or the enhancement thing. And, and he had a lot more matches with a lot more of the big guys than I did. Like I said, he's, he was the ultimate, but uh, yeah, my favorite is definitely called good loving. Excellent. Uh, do you have a favorite TV show, Randy? They switch all the time because just as I get into them, it's gone for the season. Now I'm waiting for a show called Yellowstone to come back. Oh, me too. Yeah. Yellowstone. Um, uh, there was a detective show. Bosch was another one that's off. B-O-S-C-H. Um, so I like these these that are that have six, seven, eight, nine episodes. Um that, that I can look forward to coming on. Right now, everything Yellowstone started back this past week here. So I'll follow that all the time. The best soap opera I love. I have watched. How old are you now? I'm 35. Oh, my goodness. For 44 years, I have watched General Hospital. <laughs> 44 years to this very day, I watch it. Two o'clock every afternoon. Uh, so, yeah. Favorite shows. That's it. That's great to hear. That's great. And of uh, course, wrestling. <laughs> of course. Can't forget about wrestling. Uh, do you have a favorite film, Randy? Again, you and I flop back to all the time the original Rocky. Of course. Number one. So motivational, you know? And you think of a guy who came from nothing below nothing you know a little bit of a street thug whatever and then he gets on and he finally gets a chance he gets an opportunity you know which flipping back to to uh to wrestling you know if they just give some of the enhancement guys an opportunity you know how far could they go one of my least favorites of course was rocky three <laughs> was thunderlips <laughs> hogan was in yeah but I like I like most of the wrestlers' movies, and maybe just because they were wrestlers, I don't know. You know, you got the Miz was in the Marine, and you oh, got yeah, the, yeah. Uh, a Roadhouse, you know, and, and Terry Funk, and they had done a lot of. <laughs> but Rocky, that's my motivation. That's probably I don't like to see any movie more than once. My wife goes crazy because she wants to go to the go to the theater and see something two or three times. No, I saw it. I know what's going to happen. Move on. Yeah. Rocky is the only movie you know, when it comes on and it's every couple, three months it's on TV. I watch it, but it's got to be the first one. Adrian! That's <laughs> Excellent, Randy. Uh, do you have a favorite band, Randy? I have three. Okay. Being a musician, I, I really do appreciate all kinds of music. Okay. But my favorites that I click on the radio if I can on Pandora is Chicago, Excellent. Tower of Power, and Earth, Wind, and Fire. Fantastic. Those three. Wow. I'm just a horn group type guy, you know. You know, classic rock. I like like ACDC, um, the uh, jazz, Johnny Coltrane. So just I've Very got cool. you know, uh, old school stuff was uh, uh, Sinatra that whole group the rat pack so different genres but my top three gotta be chicago earth wind and fire 
Tower of Power. I've seen them all a multitude of times. And each time I see them, it's like the first time. I mean, how many times can you hear Saturday in the park, you know, and get excited? (laughs) You get excited when it starts. Crowd goes wild. So, yep. Yep. No, every time I hear that song, I always, uh, here we go. Yep. I'll crack open another beer. Um, Ah. Okay. Getting away from the arts now, we've only got five more on this uh, uh, section here, Randy. Do you have a favorite food? Steak. Excellent. Quality. Quality steak. Very good. Uh, do you have a favorite place to eat on the road? Any buffet. Any buffet. Because usually when we're on the road, you're paying your own expenses. Okay. I remember the night we were going, we had to go from Atlanta TV way up to Michigan. We had a day to get there. And it's a day's drive. Four of us jobbers in a little Ford Escort at the time. There was me, George South, Gary Royal, and the Italian Salient. Well, we had a sleepover somewhere. So we got this Motel 6, which is really cheap at the time, took the mattress off of the box springs and flipped. Two guys slept on the box springs, two guys on the mattress. So when you ate, you could eat one good meal a day. So we've always found a buffet filled up on it. Could be Golden Corral, could be Morrison's, whatever it was. Buffets, that's it. And I'll guarantee you, any guy that was on the road, especially the lower class guys like me, ate nothing but buffets. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, do you have a favorite alcoholic beverage? And if you don't drink, Randy, just yes. a favorite beverage in general. Well, my favorite drink is lemonade. And fireball. Oh, very nice. Very what very a combo. Nice. And other than that, fireball and Dr. Pepper. Oh, very good. You wouldn't think that would match, but I got turned on to that. Oh, it's good. But the lemonade, we my wife and I went on a cruise. We're only about 45 minutes from the cruise ships here. So we can just take a weekend cruise and you can get them next to nothing, you know, 200 bucks a piece. I love they got this pink lemonade. I don't know what brand, whatever else, but I always drank that. So we were, uh, they had a trivia down in the big thing. It was Motown trivia. Well, that's another thing I'm into, really music and trivia stuff, uh, musical stuff. So we're rattling all this off. And what we're doing, I'm with my brother-in-law was there too, my wife and his wife. And uh, I said, Let's get around. Let's get a shot of Fireball. He says, Fireball? That's a sissy. That's a girl's drink. What? No. So, as we had to help him back to the room afterwards. Anyways, <laughs> so we're, we're drinking shots. Shots. Okay? Didn't want no more shots, but I was getting kind of thirsty in there. So I got some of my favorite lemonade. I went down and got it. Just poured it in for the hell of it. What's the worst going to happen? I'm going to get sick in the morning anyway, you know? It was wonderful. So to this day, Fireball, not an imitation cinnamon whiskey. It's got to be Fireball and lemonade. Excellent. I might have to try it with Dr. Pepper because Dr. Pepper is actually my favorite non-alcoholic beverage. Oh, there you go. There you go. I'm telling you. You'd be surprised. I can't wait. Uh, Second last one here, Randy. This is considered the naughtiest one of these questions. Favorite female body part. Randy Hogan sees a good-looking lady. 
Where will Randy Hogan's eyes go to first? The thighs. Ooh, a thigh man. Thigh to the butt. Boobs are okay, but it's not my go-to thing. You know, I stay in the zone. <laughs> stay in the zone. The thighs up. You know, how many times have you seen girls with big boobs and these little stick legs? Mm-hmm. What a turn on, you know? Yeah. So, so no, I, I got to have a little meat. I like them. I like them curvy, not fat. Curvy. Excellent. You, you follow NXT, NXT? Yes, of course. I think I know who you're going to talk about. Lions. <laughs> Nikita Lions, yeah. Lions, yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> Now she's flexible too. Oh my God, talk about it. But that, yeah, that's it. The Nikita Lions. <laughs> Wonderful. Randy. And you look at poor <laughs> Becky Lynch, you know, she's cute as a button little kid, but she's flat as I am. You know, she got no button. <laughs> Excellent, oh. Randy. Excellent stuff. Hey, you know what? Uh, it reminded me of Nikita Koloff when I, he answered that question. He said he likes the shape of a woman. I thought that was quite classy. So I'm with you both on that one. Uh, and the last one here, Randy, I don't even know if you said one curse word on this show, but it's your favorite curse word. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's the number one answer for that question on this show. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, unless somebody would ask me like you, I wouldn't swear. Yeah. Because a lot of the, the PG, whatever, all, I'm a firm believer in that. You know, when you got guys like, Take Moxley walking all over, giving everybody. Man, what is that? You got kids in the audience. You're trying to make new fans. You know, mom and dad. Hopefully, some of them are teaching them right from wrong. You know, and mm-hmm. here their idol in the ring is him and Ken Kingston and everybody else, giving everybody the finger. You know, <laughs> what is that? What's this come to? <laughs> what kind of sport? What kind of uh, those things bother me? Okay, maybe I'm old school. I'm not approved by any means, mm-hmm. but. Uh, uh, there's just no place for that in sports. I understand, Randy, but again, fantastic answer to the last question. And that brings us to the end here, Mr. Randy Hogan. What a joy it has been talking to you. My face hurts from laughter, from smiling. Uh, you've been I don't want to go. I've been uh, just loving learning about your time in wrestling and hearing some of these great stories that you have. Uh, so again, here comes another really nice compliment. I live in Perth, Western Australia, which is the most isolated city in the world. So far away from a lot of places. You have a fan over here. So you reached all the way to the most isolated city in the world. So I just want to let you know that. And again, wow. Wow. That's again, tears me up. It does, you know. And again, I can't thank you enough for for reaching out all the way around Australia. My God, you know, I'm just Randy Meal slash Hogan. You know, I mean, who that far away would know me, think of me, and actually want to talk to me? I can't thank you enough. And anytime I can do anything for you, let me know. I have you, get for, you get stuck for a guest sometime. Just give me a day's notice. Sounds good. And we'll go to part two. (laughs) Wonderful, Randy. Well, thank you again. And thank all of you out there for joining us for the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network, where Randomania is running wild, brother. I'm Brother. 
This is Randy Hogan, my new friend, and we will see you all down the road. Thank you. Network, that's the way we blind. Get puppies. Don't say, don't say, network, that's the way we blind. Get all of us has been paid for by the WZWA Network.